You are listening to the 2022 Air and Space Power Conference, brought to you by the Royal Australian Air Force's Air and Space Power Centre. In this presentation, Air Vice Marshal Joe Avasi contributes with their discussion on Air Command perspective on the future operating environment. We join the presentation as it is introduced to the conference attendees. Well, good afternoon. Welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed lunch. Translating strategic objectives for resilience and innovation into the operating environment is a complex and multifaceted task. To help us understand and explore the key threats and challenges to the future operating environment, we're joined by leaders in air and space power from Australia, New Zealand, Northern Europe and industry. I'll invite our guest speakers to make their presentations before joining in a panel discussion. First, Air Vice Marshal Joel Varsi, Air Commander Australia, will provide an operational perspective on the trends and challenges of the future operating environment, including employing exquisite capability versus low-cost, high-availability, multi-domain interoperability. We're again expecting a provocative presentation, which will again challenge our assumptions around the meanings of resilience, or the meaning of resilience. Following Air Vice Marshal Avasi's presentation, we'd be delighted to welcome Air Vice Marshal Andrew Clark, Chief of Air Force of the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Air Vice Marshal Clark will discuss trends, challenges and opportunities focusing on the Southwest Pacific, a vast geographic region facing serious security issues including climate change, internal disputes and foreign interference, and explore how innovation and resilience can deliver effective capability for a small force. We'll then move to a more global perspective and are honoured to welcome Lieutenant General Lute, Commander of the Royal Netherlands Air Force. With global order, cooperation and security under strain, Lieutenant General Lute will provide an international perspective on the future operating environment within NATO and lessons learned from recent events, including the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Our final speaker will provide a perspective from our key partner in capability, industry. Mr. Hugh Webster is Chief Technology Officer of Boeing Australia. Mr. Webster will provide insight into what defence industry of the future may look like, how emerging technologies may shape the operating environment, and how innovation can improve the acquisition and capability delivery process. I'll invite Air Vice Marshal Avasi to commence the session, and once we've heard from all speakers, we'll proceed to a panel discussion, although I can't promise the personal dynamism of uh, Air Vice Marshal Blackburn as a moderator. Um, a reminder to please put any questions into the Events Air app. Sir, thank you. Guests, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, firstly I'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land uh, upon which we meet today and the skies through which we operate. And I pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to pay my respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and men who have served and continue to serve in the defence of our nation. Uh, it's a great privilege for me to be uh, here with this august uh, panel uh, this afternoon uh, in the graveyard shift straight after lunch. So uh, it's uh, our pleasure to be able to excite uh, but also stimulate uh, the senses uh, as well. Uh, the topic that we've been given uh, is to discuss the trends and challenges of the future operating environment uh, as it pertains to resilience and innovation. And Andrew, that's the last time I'll say those in my presentation uh, as well. Uh, and I know I've been given uh, a script uh, to talk about what it means for exquisite capabilities, etc. cetera, uh, but those who know me know that I seldom stick to my script, so I'll do it in my own way. First, let's talk about um, the future operating environment and, and how that is being framed. Well, first and foremost, it's undeniable uh, that climate uh, is impacting uh, security around the globe. 
Uh, for those who have just recently arrived here uh, in Australia, uh, you're aware that we've just recently gone through a, a major weather event uh, with floods uh, throughout the, uh, the East Coast. Uh, and we have, as of today, still up to 7,000 Australian Defence Force personnel available uh, and or indirect support of flood recovery. So it's undeniable that, and to me this is the notion of ISA, you know, International Standard Atmosphere versus Climate Change. Uh, I think what constitutes ISA today is different as it has been. The second aspect clearly is to do with, you know, global threats, biological. So we've got pandemic now, but the question really is pandemic, pandemic next. Uh, and I think that will continue to shape uh, how we respond. And as previous speakers today have identified, uh, the longer term economic, structural uh, and societal impacts of that uh, are yet to be fully realised. Within those two major environmental shaping effects, we have how the world is organised today. Uh, and we have, you know, autocracy uh, versus democracy, um, as also spoken about this morning. So the key questions for us is, well, can they actually coexist? Um, is it about shared ideas, shared interests, or shared values? Is this a new world order which is arising? Um, and also, if is it about freedom from fear or freedom from want? And at what price happiness are we willing to pay? So I think we need a more nuanced approach in terms of um, how nations choose to govern themselves and understand their interactions and what that means to us. The consequences of actually being uh, that level of connection and follow-on has been, and certainly uh, as a byproduct of the pandemic, is we started to recognise we've got a certain number of vulnerabilities. And the notion about what constitutes sovereign capability versus our dependence on a global network, I think is also going to continue to uh, dominate and also challenge each of us as we start to realise um, that we, as an integrated network, once again, as already described, we are so interdependent that the notion of great powers uh, going at conflict uh, is probably not conceivable in the way we thought about, but we need to understand uh, the various dimensions of competition and or conflict that may arise. But the interconnectedness uh, of our globe uh, is, or is now irreversible. The other thing about sovereign uh, versus uh, international is that geography still matters, uh, where you physically sit in the world. The final part for me is the uh, ongoing discussion now of uh, human versus machine. Uh, discussions of human quality versus the quantity, the mass discussions. Uh, is it exquisite versus low cost? Is it multi-role versus specialist? So these are the nature of our environment, I believe, the operating environment over the next few years, which will start to shape us. But over many years, uh, there's been uh, this group of uh, intellectuals who've tried to describe the natural reactions. You know, from uh, Isaac Newton, uh, every action has an opposite reaction. Whether it's equal or not, I guess we can judge that. Uh, Rudolf Clausius, you know, second law of thermodynamics, you know, for an irreversible process, disorder, entropy, increases over time. So a desire to create order from chaos, I think, is actually not physically possible. And the other guy on the end, something about where he 
where he forgot to leave something, the Heisenberg principle. You know, the uncertainty in terms of you can only look at one thing precisely, but you lose a level of precision in other dimensions as you try to measure. The key point, uh, as Charles Darwin has pointed out, and this is about adaptation, is that it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Uh, and once again, uh, former speakers have also uh, identified that characteristic uh, as well. So uh, in the absence of having uh, a unified uh, definition of resilience, I, I do actually leverage off the United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reduction, as uh, John Blackburn uh, pointed out earlier. Uh, the ability of a system, community or society exposed to hazards to resist, absorb, accommodate, adapt to, transform and recover from the effects of a hazard in a timely and efficient manner through the preservation and restoration of its essential basic structures and functions through risk management. Um, I'm sure uh, there'll be plenty of debates over that definition, uh, but I'm just going to pick out the key essence for that uh, for my subsequent conversation. So the issue of uh, resilience is actually about adaptation. Uh, and to me, the question is, are we adapting to survive or are we actually adapting to thrive? And that kind of depends as well. If we take uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, and as uh, once uh, quoted by the United States uh, satirist uh, Henry Louis Mencken, the average man does not want to be free. He simply wants to be safe. So from that notion and aspect, the way nations choose to um, interact with the rest of the world in an interconnected way comes down to what is it they're trying to achieve at a society, a community, to a society, and from a national perspective as well. But as I said, uh, also geography kind of matters too, and the context of uh, where you stand is actually where you sit. We look at Australia from the globe, uh, there's a lot of water around us. Uh, is the bottom line. Um, and uh, if you look at through that particular lens, it, it's clear the nations who are physically closest to us. Conversely, if you look through the lens through Mongolia, you know their geostrategic circumstances wedged in between Russia and China are uniquely different uh, to our own particular context as well. And then finally, if you look at it from the lens looking from Antarctica and out, uh, the last frontier, uh, it becomes evident, you know, where the influences and shapers are from there as well. So when it comes to geography, history matters as well. Uh, and so whilst history doesn't always repeat, it certainly rhymes uh, in certain aspects. So the notion of adaptability really needs to span uh, a few dimensions. Uh, and we need to be thinking about the moral, the mental and the physical aspects of adaptations. Now, how have we responded from a, a defence procurement or a force design uh, perspective in order to do so? Uh, I think um, what we've challenged is that um, we're always looking for innovations in one way, shape or form. Uh, but the force design challenge for us has been, we fall into this trap of, is it the last war or the next war that we're looking to fight? And, and I think that, um, getting stuck in that cycle constrains us to being binary in terms of the choices and the decisions that we might need to take. The issue that we have, certainly in my experience, uh, and I know there's a lot of work trying to address this, is because our de developmental and adjustment cycles are too long, 
the overall tendency is that we tend to favour the next war. And so the next war drives us to innovations or looking at uh, cutting edge or not even thought of technologies uh, to the point of sharks with laser beams. Um, and we're always trying to second guess exactly what it is we require to do for a future environment that as those former gentlemen I had on the slide have already identified, it's unpredictable and it's uh, unable to forecast. Now as a natural consequence of trying to predict and sense what the future is, it, it lends itself naturally to the concept that we want to drive for more ISR, we want to drive for big data, uh, and because we can now fuse information, it's tending to draw ourselves to a more centralised approach of doing business as well. And so separate to the notion of mission command, uh, I think we uh, can potentially fall into the trap of reverting to a centralised system because we now we have this exquisite meshed network capable of shared situational awareness and drawing that into the centre. The question is, is that really the best way uh, forward? Uh, there was this bloke called John Boyd uh, that most of us uh, are aware of, certainly um, from an academic perspective, but uh, notably those uh, from the fast jet community, uh, as the founder of the uh, energy manoeuvre diagram, uh, top right hand uh, quadrant, uh, but also uh, the notion of the uh, OODA loop. Now from Boyd's perspective, uh, the OODA loop isn't a loop itself in terms of observe, to orient, to decide, to act. It actually is about the big O, as he called it, and the big O is about orientation. And you spend most of your time actually in the phases of orientation, but your ability to orient is based upon your own cultural biases, it's based upon your own context, it's based upon your own uh, intelligence, uh, and it's based upon your own senses in the system as well. Now, if we consider, you know, um, our societies, our forces and our nations as their own ecosystem. Um, if you only are looking from your ecosystem inwards uh, but aren't interfacing with the external environment, uh, you might at best survive, adapt to survive, but it's at the interfaces of the other ecosystems, at the boundaries is where the changes actually take effect. And so the ability to sense those changes is one thing, but it's also your ability to adapt at those boundaries themselves. So I think this is a challenge for all of us in terms of thinking about how do we adapt our organisations. The tendency is we drive decision making and drive adaptation into the centre and the centre will drive. The question is, is it better for the centre to be more stable with a longer term vision and direction and mean line of advance, but allow the freedom around the boundaries to actually do that quicker adaptation. And there's an analogy there for not only our force development cycles, but also an analogy there about how we develop our people as well. Now, Boyd had the notion uh, after studying uh, conflict over um, the millennia uh, to understand how to adapt more quickly, get inside the OODA loops, that orientation phase, it was really about the issue of having a variety of options. You know, as Charles Darwin said, it's the ability to adapt, not necessarily the strongest or the smartest, but the ability for an organisation to adapt. So therefore, you need to have a variety of things that give you greater coping mechanisms to adapt. 
there's variety. Then there's the speed of your adaptation as well. So if you can't rapidly adapt, either at the periphery or in the center, that's when things will start to fall afoul. Harmony. Harmony is also a key point. That's about having uh, a shared vision, uh, a unifying theme, uh, a mission intent. So without that harmony uh, from the center, it's hard for the periphery to adapt uh, consistent with a shared understanding of where you are from a societal perspective. And the final part is about initiative. You must take the initiative. Well, more the point, uh, and to quote Boyd, um, those who are willing and able to take the initiative to exploit variety, rapidity, and harmony as the basis to create, as well as the ability to adapt to a more indistinct and more irregular changes of rhythm and pattern, yet shape the focus and direction of effort, survive and dominate. Or contrawise, those who are unwilling or unable to take the initiative to exploit variety, rapidity and harmony will either go under or at best adapt to survive only to be subsequently dominated uh, further on. Fascinating, so what does all this mean? If we are seeking to connect a number of disparate organisms together, the like-minded to form a larger ecosystem of which we can both survive, adapt to survive and adapt to thrive, we need to dramatically improve our boundary interfaces uh, and importantly enable those boundary interfaces to adapt in their own organic way. Uh, this is critically important if the resource necessary to sustain our organism is dependent upon being fed from others. This is the global interdependency challenge. Now, this is the central idea around sovereign resilience. But building up sovereign resilience in and of itself will only contribute to enabling our organism to survive, perhaps only for a little while longer. We, will sh we still shape and are shaped by the external environment. Therefore, in order to adapt and to thrive, we need to interact with the environment. That interaction happens morally, mentally and physically. But the essence is that interaction is human. Those who are not connected, those who are isolated from the environment will fail to adapt and at best will only survive but are more likely, once again, to be dominated. Our resilience, therefore, is predicated upon human interactions, not solely data sharing or material sustenance. We need to increase how we physically interact, whether that's through training, education, forums such as this, shared understanding, but also mutual respect. As we say in the fighter community, you build up greater situational awareness by listening, not talking. Big ears, little mouth. We need to also provide a level of freedom and, and discretion for exploration at the boundaries to test and adjust. So having a unifying theme is important, but if we need to prioritise investment, and uh, I, I take great credence out of uh, those who have studied and analysed this in detail before, but as John Boyd's priorities are, it's people, ideas and then things. And so when we're thinking about our weight of effort, and certainly there's been a criticism on the former speakers this morning, is are we teaching people the ways, uh, no, not what to think, but how to think. There's a lot to be said about that. Said another way, and as introduced by Chief of Air Force this morning, uh, and without stealing, I guess, Brendan, Nelson, uh, uh, Brendan Nelson's thunder tomorrow as well, it is about people and leadership. 
And as Boyd said, it's actually monitored leadership. So monitored leadership from a mission command perspective is actually an alternative command and control model that's more organic in its nature, uh, enforces the delegation uh, of authorities, enables the war workforce to actually operate at the edges, to adjust at the peripheries, to be quicker adaptation, uh, to adjust and a change and to adapt. And those, I think, are pretty much the, the fundamentals uh, to where we need to move forward because we really can't predict uh, what's going to happen next. Um, and these are four possible futures uh, taken straight from uh, popular um, context, uh, but uh, are not necessarily so flung uh, in terms of their absurdity to ask that question as also postulated uh, by uh, Air Chief Marshal Binskin, just because it's unprecedented is no excuse not to be unprepared. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the Air and Space Power Centre's 2022 Air and Space Power Conference, which was proudly sponsored by principal sponsor Boeing, major sponsors L3 Harris, Rolls-Royce and Lockheed Martin. If you are looking to consume, contest or contribute to airspace power, please visit www.airpower.airforce.gov.au.